0: According to Forbes, James Patterson makes an annual income of $80 million. Now, I've heard from industry people who estimate it to be much higher than that. One said that Jerry Patterson earns about 20% of all royalties earned by all authors, making him the highest paid American author. Now, what's interesting is that despite the fact that he's number one in sales, I don't hear his name very often I mentioned at writers' conferences or in podcasts for authors. You don't find his name often in books for authors. So I think it's time to stop ignoring Patterson and look at what he is doing. How is he so successful? And are there any lessons from his approach you could apply to your own marketing and writing? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living with writing worth talking about. Now, the first lesson from Jerry Patterson's career is to hone your craft with short stories. If you've been listening to the Novel Marketing podcast for a while, you know that I talk a lot about writing short stories to improve your craft. So you can imagine how excited I was when I was reading his memoir, and I saw that this was how he got his start writing. He had a summer job as a young man where he had a lot of downtime, and so he spent that time writing one or two short stories every week. Then, once he got a real job, he forced himself to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning to write. He did this for a decade before his first publishing contract. By the time he wrote his first novel, he had written hundreds of short stories. In our course, The Five-Year Plan, we have students write one short story a month. And some complain that this is a lot of short stories. But realize that James Patterson was writing one to two short stories a week while working a job. He also did it on a typewriter or on a a pencil and paper. So no excuses for those of you using dictation, modern word processors, and AI writing assistants. If you've written a dozen short stories, that's great. But I want to encourage you to keep writing. It takes a lot of practice to become a best-selling author. And if you're looking for a shortcut in publishing, there aren't any. Or rather, the five-year plan is the shortcut. It takes most authors 10 years before they can pay the bills with their writing. There are no overnight successes in this business. In fact, it takes the longest path is looking for the shortcuts and going from shortcut a shortcut. If you just put your book aside, the one that you've been working on for all those years, and start writing short stories, get better at the craft of writing, that is actually the faster path. If you're driving the wrong way, the fastest way to get going in the right direction is to stop driving the wrong way, then turn around. <laughs> Before a traditional publisher releases a book, they send advanced reader copies of that book that they have already acquired, they've already spent the money to acquire it. They send out the advanced reader copies to key readers to get their feedback. And the feedback from those advanced readers determines how much marketing money the publisher puts behind the book. The more positive the feedback, the more money the publisher will put behind the book. So if you had a publisher super excited about your book and then suddenly it's crickets with the marketing and you're not sure what happened, it may be that those advanced readers didn't like the book. Patterson talks about this and with one of his early books, they sent it out for feedback. And the very first feedback they got was from a very successful author who wrote, I'm quite sure that James Patterson wrote a million words before he even started this novel. (laughs) Between all of the short stories and all of the marketing copy that Patterson had written, he put time in to hone his craft. Now he doesn't think he'd written a million words by the time he got that note, but he'd written a lot. He didn't tell himself that he didn't need to work hard because God called him to write. If God has called you to write, that should be reason to work harder, not to slack off. James Patterson did the work. He honed his craft and then he reaped the consequences of that hard work. If you want to learn more about writing short stories and how to use them to help your marketing, we have some episodes to help, and I'll have links to those episodes at authormedia.com slash 341. Those episodes are how to write short stories with James Scott Bell and how to build your email list before your book comes out using short stories. The second lesson from Jerry Patterson's life is to study marketing. Now, James Patterson studied English In college, not marketing. But, all right, after college, he got a job as a marketing copywriter for J. Walter Thompson, a giant marketing agency in New York City. During his time as a madman, so if you've seen the TV show Mad Men, that's basically the job he had was at that exact same kind of firm. James Patterson reconstructed the worldview that his English education tried to deconstruct. When looking back at his time as an English major, he recalls in his memoir, I'm going to quote here from his memoir. It may be hard to imagine that Hawks, who wrote, I began to write fiction on the assumption that the true enemies of the novel were plot, character, setting, and theme, was once a true hero of mine, but he was, back when I was a literary snoot. When Patterson uh, refers to his reconstruction, he uses a lot of class language like snoot and snob, but tellingly, he also uses religious language to refer to the writing taught at university. He refers to it as the, quote, righteous road, unquote, a road that he left to write popular books. And I will say, I experienced a version of this my sophomore year in college. As a freshman, I was in the university honors program with a major in communications and I took a lot of English and communications classes from well-meaning English professors. Then as a sophomore, I switched my major to business management and took a class in business communication taught by Dr. Krishan Merriman. In that class, I learned that much of what I had learned from the English professors was nonsense. The problem with the English department and with arts degrees more generally is that the professors have a postmodern worldview. Postmodernism rejects objective truth. The problem though is that if you don't believe objective truth exists, you won't search for a way to find it. So how do you learn what works and what doesn't? You don't. Postmodernism eschews pragmatism as a relic of the old modern way of thinking. And I realize using the word old and modern is a little bit confusing, but postmodern comes after modern. And so they see the modern methods, the pragmatic methods as old fashioned. In academic writing, students write for the professor. Success comes to students who are best able to pair it back to the professor, the worldview and politics presented in class. Long grammatically complex sentences are celebrated. The result of this teaching method is that good writing is determined not by what works, but by what appeals to those in power. It is a worldview of might makes right. And the School of Business, on the other hand, still has the older modern worldview. And the reason you hear so much about the value of STEM degrees, which is science, technology, engineering and medicine is that those four degrees, those four schools in the academy still hold to the old modern worldview. And I can unpack that more, perhaps in a different episode. (laughs) But the business school, at least the one that I went to, also held to a modern worldview. They believed in pragmatism. It doesn't matter what the boss says. It matters what works. And they measured what works and what doesn't, the way all business people do, with money. (laughs) That's the score. Scientists use different methods uh, for testing uh, hypothesis. Now, this is a more useful worldview, in my opinion. And for one, it gives you a way of finding the truth. In the 20th century, marketers would send snail mail out with two versions of a sales letter to two halves of a list. And they would have in those letters different language and different 1-800 numbers. And then they would see which version of the letter got their phone to ring more times. And over the decades, they developed a science of writing. And with this method, the marketers were able to determine which letter was objectively better. (laughs) One version of the letter would get the phone to ring more often. And this created an amazing form of writing a form of writing that my English professors never once talked about. They never talked about this research. They never talked about using experimentation to test the quality of writing (laughs) because it was so outside of their worldview. It was trying to solve a problem they didn't believe existed. Now, this school of scientifically guided modern writing is called copywriting, and it was the kind of writing that James Patterson did at his very first job at J. Walter Thompson. Yes, it's all coming back. The publishing industry currently straddles modern and postmodern worldviews. You find lots of postmodern people on the editorial side of a publishing house, but you'll tend to find more modern people on the business side of the publishing house. And they both have their own tools, so the postmodern people have their literary awards, the modern people have their bestseller lists. And interestingly, the kinds of books that tend to sell well do not tend to be the kinds of books that win awards. A pub board meeting in some ways could be seen as a debate between the moderns and the postmoderns, as they try to fight over which books get published and which books get funded. James Patterson strikes me as a modern pragmatist rather than a postmodern deconstructionist. The transition in his worldview happened during his time in the cutthroat world of marketing, where he emerged as a modern writer whose books rank on bestseller lists without trying to cater to the whims of powerful literary award voters. If you want to know what works, you must first believe that truth exists and can be found. You were likely presented a postmodern worldview in college, or even if you didn't go to college, you probably got it from your English professors. The modern English professor or English teacher is incredibly rare. I've run into very few in my time in this industry. And if you're not careful, that postmodern worldview will lead you down the path of obscurity. There's a reason why so few graduates from English courses and English programs go on to find literary success, and how many of the people who are successful selling books didn't come from English programs. (laughs) There's a reason, and the the core reason is a worldview reason. Now, a great way to reconstruct your worldview is to study marketing, and specifically to study copywriting, that scientifically-guided form of writing. Learn how to measure. Learn how to find what works. And I have a few episodes to help you get started during your worldview reconstruction. Those episodes are the 10 commandments of book marketing, how to use marketing data to sell more books, and how to track your book promotion. And I will say, in general, this podcast comes from a very pragmatic worldview. That's the worldview that I try to present in every episode. And I realize that for some people, that's very controversial or very old fashioned. And if you'd like to send your hate mail, you can send it to thomas at authormedia.com. I would love to hear your perspective. The third lesson of James Patterson's success is to write for the reader. The key to effective marketing is to realize it's not about you. It's about the customer. Your brand only means something when it makes the customer feel something good marketers spend a lot of time and money doing market research. This is a fancy business phrase for the ancient practice of listening to your customer. James Patterson's primary target is casual readers, the kind of people who don't read many books. He believes that the reason most people don't read books is that there are no books they would enjoy reading. So he tries to write the kind of books that would get someone back into reading or get them reading again because many people read their last book when they graduate high school, and they never pick up a book again. Patterson wants to reach those people with his books. If he can thrill those most discriminating readers, he can thrill nearly everyone. So this is a brilliant target for two reasons. First, there are a lot more people who don't read books than those who do. And secondly, very few authors write for this market. So he's found himself a very large and not very competitive target audience. And this is why if you read his memoir, he talks a lot about promoting literacy, because once people get comfortable with reading, the first book they're likely to read is a Patterson book. (laughs) So here is the hundred million dollar question. How does James Patterson write for inactive readers? And perhaps even more important, how can you reach that massive market? For people who don't read a lot, they want short sentences and fast plots they want reading a book to feel like watching a great movie but played in their mind. If I were to sum up Patterson's approach to writing in one sentence, it would be this. Don't let a beautiful sentence get in the way of a good story. In his memoir, he talks about having to overcome his preference for fancy abstract writing. Postmodernism celebrates complex, beautiful sentences that follow the grammatical rules. The kind of sentence copywriters have known for a long time doesn't make the phone ring. <laughs> uh, if you were to do a split test in an email, which you know back in the day, they did it with 800 numbers and snail mail. You can do it now in an email. You'll find that long, complicated sentences cause people's eyes to glaze over. So the key here is short sentences. The shorter your sentences, the broader your market. Or put another way, long sentences alienate readers. The longer your sentences, the more readers you alienate. So if you want to maximize sales, look for editors to help you get your average words per sentence down to six or seven. That means you have to learn how to write three word sentences. And James Patterson is the master of incorporating three word sentences into his writing. It doesn't mean that all of his sentences are seven words long. It means that's the average, (laughs) which means for as many 10 word sentences as he has, he has five word sentences or four word sentences. Keeping those sentences simple really makes a difference. His writing is simple in that it relies on nouns and verbs rather than adjectives and adverbs. Again, if you study copywriting, you know that this is true. This kind of writing gives the writing more clarity and more simplicity that makes it approachable for new readers and makes the story faster paced because you're not bloating the sentences with adverbs and adjectives. You're getting to the next sentence, which is getting to the next bit of plot, which makes the book harder to put down. If you spend the effort to pick the best verb, you don't have to fix it with an adverb. Now there's a tool I talked about a few weeks ago called authors.ai. I'll have an affiliate link in the show notes for it. And this tool will give you a statistical analysis of your book. It will tell you how long your sentences are on average, and it will give you a graph of how many long sentences, how many short sentences you have. And it will compare your book and the length of the sentences to the best-selling books in your genre. Because you'll actually find that the length of sentence on average highly correlates to how well the book sells. This is Uh, not some secret. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I was tempted to title this episode The Secrets of James Patterson's Success. But these aren't secrets. The copywriters have known these things for decades. The difference, though, is that English professors don't listen or care about copywriting. And the tool Authors.ai even compares your stats with similar best-selling books to see if your writing is up to snuff and similar books to the one that you're writing. It's, It's a pretty interesting tool. There's a free version that's what I played with the most there's a paid version that gives you some more reports. I think the statistical analysis on word usage is in the free version. Another thing that helps James Patterson's books appeal to casual readers is fast plots. So cutting unnecessary words from each sentence speeds up the plot. We've already talked about that. Cutting unnecessary subplots speeds up the plot. Cutting unnecessary characters speeds up the plot. Doing all of these things gives readers a book they can't put down even if they don't normally read books. And if you want help tightening up your writing, I have some episodes to help. I have an episode, How to Tighten Your Writing with Angela Hunt, and How to Write Best-Selling cover Copy. Uh, this second episode isn't about writing books, it's about writing copy. It's a copywriting episode, which I think you'll find very helpful, even if you're writing fiction or nonfiction. All right, now let's talk about lesson number four, Collaborate with Assistants. It's not uncommon to see James Patterson on the New York Times bestseller list with multiple books at the same time. He's written over 200 books as I record this, and over 100 of them have hit the New York Times bestseller list. So how is he able to be so prolific? Well, it all goes back to his time at the marketing firm. During his time as a madman, James Patterson rose from copywriter to creative lead and eventually to marketing executive. In a marketing firm, creative leads give an overall outline or overall vision for a project, and then they work with teams of assistants to bring that vision to life. They then give those teams feedback, and those teams go back and work on that feedback to improve it over and over again. And it's not uncommon for a creative lead to give feedback on multiple projects on the same day. And Patterson uses this approach as an author. He'll draft a detailed 80-page outline. And it will then send that outline to a collaborator who uses it to create a rough draft for the story. That collaborator then sends the draft to Patterson, who then gives him or her detailed feedback. And the assistant then goes back and does revisions. They do a few rounds of this. Eventually, the team expands as editors are brought in. And this method allows Patterson to work on multiple simultaneous projects all of which were birthed from his mind. Because remember, he's the one who provided the initial, what we would call in marketing, a creative brief, or what we would call in author world, an outline. And while Patterson learned this approach in advertising, this practice is much older than that. And this is a similar method to what Michelangelo used when he painted the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo had the creative vision for what he wanted the ceiling to look like. And he created a paper outline of every square inch of the ceiling. But he had a whole team of assistants that actually helped bring that realization to life. The assistants were helping make the plaster. They were painting paint to the wet plaster. Because when you're painting a fresco, you have to apply the paint to the wet plaster, which means you're on a clock. Which means you need a team of people (laughs) both making the plaster and applying the paint. And I imagine... Also, to help your arms rest, <laughs> I can't imagine holding my hands up above my head for more than five or 10 minutes, much less all day. So he had a whole team of people taking turns. And if this is news to you, if you had a vision in your head of Michelangelo alone and the ceiling, painting it on his back, I'll have some articles uh, by historians that debunk that myth. <laughs> and before you dismiss this approach, let me ask you a question. What makes someone a master artist? The word master has two meanings. It could mean someone skilled at a craft, but it can also mean a boss. In the case of Michelangelo, he was both a master of his craft and the master of a team that worked together to create a masterpiece. If you want to create a masterpiece, you must first become a master. And when I look at James Patterson, I see a master working with a team of professionals to do more together than any of them could do individually. Lesson number five, from James Patterson is to outline. I felt obligated to put this lesson in this episode because in his memoir, he talks about it so much. (laughs) So if you read his memoir, he makes it sound like outlining is the secret to all of his success or the key to all of his success. And his approach of working with assistants to rapidly write multiple books a year really does depend on this method. In the world of fiction writing though, there are two rival schools. The Outliners and the Discovery Writers, or the Outliners and the Pantsers, as they're often called, because the Discovery Writers write by the seat of their pants. Stephen King is perhaps the most well-known proponent of the pantsing school, and Stephen King and James Patterson are famous rivals. (laughs) In fact, their mutual animosity may come from the fact that they represent such different schools. Now, as somebody who's worked with authors and worked with best-selling authors for a long time, I will say most people fall somewhere in the middle. They put together an outline of some kind, but perhaps not an 80-page outline like Patterson writes. And I think outlining has some marketing benefits over discovery writing. They both work, and Stephen King is also very successful. It's not like Stephen King is failing and James Patterson is making all the money. Stephen King is also making money. But I do think outlining has a few advantages. One, the marketing team can start prepping the marketing campaign from the outline better than they can from a terrible rough draft. Outliners tend to write faster, especially kind of the the average outliner, I feel like, writes faster. The top pantsers, like King and especially Jerry Jenkins, can still rapidly write. So it doesn't preclude you from rapid writing, but it does make it harder to rapid write. Outlining also makes it easier to work with an assistant to do the drafting and revising. And a good example of this is that when Jerry Jenkins, who's a discovery writer, works with a collaborator, Jenkins does 100% of the writing. So he becomes the primary bottleneck for his writing. He's not able to work with teams the same way Patterson is able to work with teams. Uh, Jenkins still works with teams of editors who will come in and clean it up, but he's the one who has to draft the rough draft and implement the changes. Another advantage of outlining is that it shows you how well you know the storytelling rules and the plot rules. It's not uncommon for me to come across discovery writers who don't know that they don't know how to put a plot together. They're kind of vague at the difference between act one and act two. They don't really know their way around the hero's journey. And more importantly, they don't know that they don't know those things <laughs> because when you're discovery writing, it's not so obvious. But when you have an outline, it becomes pretty obvious if you don't know the difference between you know act two and act three. That said, I'm not sure how much of an edge outlining gives Patterson, but I do know that he thinks it gives him an edge, so I felt obligated to include this in this roundup for his behalf. <laughs> because when he's teaching young writers, he basically he's like Winston Churchill, he's like outlining, outlining, outlining. All right, Lesson number six: rapid write. The biggest reason James Patterson makes more money than all of the other authors is that he writes more books. (laughs) If publishing is a lottery, Patterson has more tickets than most. If you want to maximize your income as a writer, learn to write faster. It's just that simple. Rapid writing has the following benefits. First, rapid writing helps you get better faster. As I've said before, the carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter. The more you write, the better you get at writing. Spending a decade rewriting the same novel over and over again is the slowest way to improve your craft. When you're just getting started, starting a new book is sometimes the best thing you can do to get better. Although really, learn to rapidly write short stories. Rapid writing combined with short stories is magic for improving your writing. It's a lot easier to get feedback on a short story than it is on a full-length novel. And once you get that feedback, you can write another short story using what you learned from writing the last one. (laughs) So you get better faster. And this is key. And this is a much faster way to learn than begging people to read your 100,000-word manuscript where you make the same mistake chapter after chapter. If writing short stories is good enough for James Patterson, it's good enough for you. (laughs) And before you think, this is just an outliners thing, Stephen King, king of the panthers, also got his start, writing short stories. (laughs) So there's no excuse. Rapid writing also makes you more money like I already talked about. But let me break down the math for you so you understand. If you're a professional writer and you're needing your money from your book to pay your bills and you write one book a year, that book needs to bring in enough money to cover all of your bills. That's a lot of pressure. And very few books ever sell enough copies to pay for an author's entire year's worth of living expenses. But if you wrote a book every month, book sales would only need to cover your expenses for that month. <laughs> this is much more feasible. You know, think about what your budget is for a month. You probably don't need to sell that many copies of a book to cover that month's rent or cover that month's mortgage or cover that month's everything. And this is a more feasible way to become a professional writer. But it will require you to approach your writing professionally. And I realize a book a month may be a bit extreme, but the math still breaks out, right? If you have a book a quarter, that book only needs to bring in a quarter's worth of revenue. Rapid writing also supercharges your marketing. Each book that you launch helps promote all of your other books. You see an increase all down your backlist, and rapid writing gives you a backlist faster. And this is even more true if your books are in a series. When you come out with the 20th Alex Cross novel, all 19 previous Alex Cross novels see a bump in sales. (laughs) As people wanna get caught up with the current story. More books also gives you more money for promotion and more options for cross promotion, price pulsing and more. It really opens up the playbook. If you only have one or two books, you really don't have your full set of marketing tools. Rapid writing also helps protect you from mistakes. If one of your books is a dud, but the next book is coming out in just a few months, fans can wait until the next one. But if fans waited five years and the book was a dud, and then they need to wait five more years for the next book, you've lost them. (laughs) Too much life happens in a decade, and you're going to have to start over from scratch. And here's the deal. Everyone writes duds eventually. Spending more time on your book doesn't necessarily protect you from writing a dud, so the best way to protect yourself is to just write faster. (laughs) Slow authors know this deep down, and the pressure for the next one to be good, I think slows them down even more in what becomes a death spiral. I suspect this is why Patrick Rothfuss hasn't released a novel in the last decade. (laughs) The ever-going pressure is slowing him down. I hope he can overcome it. I'd like to hear how the story continues. So, If you're wanting help learning how to rapid write, we have a bunch of episodes to help. One is How to Write More Productively with Angela Hunt. We have How to Write Faster and Better with Chris Fox, Productivity Tips for Authors with Joanna Penn, and How to Write 5,000 Words an Hour with Chris Fox. And I, I want you to notice that I'm saying rapid writing here, not rapid releasing. Rapid releasing is where you write books and then wait to release them until you can release a whole bunch of books back to back in an attempt to juice the Amazon algorithm, I don't believe in that. I have an episode on rapid releasing and why it's a bad idea, but I think rapid writing is a good idea. (laughs) So there's there's a right way to go about things and a wrong way to go about things. And the right way is to learn how to write better and faster, which we have an episode on, (laughs) so it can be done. It doesn't have to take forever. So some final thoughts. You may notice that many of these, quote, marketing ideas, unquote, are actually writing ideas. This is intentional. Good marketing helps a bad book fail faster. And the best thing you can do to help with the marketing of your book is to write the kind of book that readers already want to read. Marketing is not about convincing people to like a book. Marketing is helping people realize they already like a book they don't know about yet. Postmodernism rejects this right-to-market approach, and you'll hear postmoderns really poo-pooing right-to-market. They prefer platitudes like be true to yourself or true to your art, and I have no idea what those platitudes even mean. (laughs) When I hear these kinds of phrases come from an author, my first assumption is that they're too arrogant to work with professionally, that they're a, a prima donna that's writing for themselves rather than writing for their reader. I don't like to work with that kind of author. The first commandment of novel marketing is to love thy reader as much as you love thy book. If you can learn to love your readers and write the kinds of books that they want to read, you will find yourself selling more books. (laughs) It won't make you James Patterson, certainly not overnight, but it will put you on the path that he has been walking for the last 30 years. It will put you on the path of selling more and more copies of your books as you learn to better love your readers and better write the kind of book that they want to read. And if you want help walking that path toward publication, I recommend checking out the five year plan to become a best selling author. This is a course that I created with best selling author James L. Rubart, who is a former co host of this podcast and a voice you still hear from time to time. And it's a step by step guide through the first five years of your writing career, where we give you homework. Here's a book on craft to read, here is a short story to write and here's what to work on and what not to work on. A common mistake that a lot of authors make is early on they're focusing too much on marketing and later on they're not focusing enough on marketing. (laughs) So in the five-year plan we help you figure out when to start thinking about marketing and when to just work on your craft. So you'll learn each quarter what to do and what not to do and how to avoid the kinds of mistakes that hijack success from most authors, and the kinds of mistakes that slow you down. So we help you avoid the kind of time-wasting traps that most authors fall into. It's a five-year plan that's mostly, just don't take the shortcuts. (laughs) You really do have to do it the hard way. And I've been learning this as a parent. My kids have not been sleeping. (laughs) Oh, it's been rough. Uh, I haven't had an uninterrupted night sleep uh, all year. So between the newborn and the two-year-old, They take turns waking up or waking each other up. But when getting them down, one of the things I've learned is that the fastest way to get the two-year-old to fall asleep is to just put in the time to rock him to sleep, (laughs) trying to take a shortcut. You know, threats, bribes, pleading, none of that seems to work. (laughs) But what does work, at least right now, is just rocking him. (laughs) And it's like, oh, this is so time-consuming, but what's more time-consuming is fighting with him for an hour as he wants just one more hug. On the plus side, I get more hugs than most people because it is his go-to stalling technique when he can't fall asleep. <laughs> um, but anyway, to, to bring this back to the five-year plan, uh, the five-year plan is just rock the baby. <laughs> don't, don't try to, don't try threats or bribes. Just rock the baby to sleep. And if any of you know any tricks to get them to stay asleep once they fall asleep, uh, email me at thomas at authormedia.com. And I know many of you are waiting on my course, Obscure No More. You're like, where is that course? It's supposed to come out in the fall or come out of beta in the fall. And I hear you. Um, The lack of sleep has really impacted my productivity. Some weeks, it's all I can do just to get uh, my podcast episodes out. And the thing that doesn't get gotten to is course creation. But anyway, I am hopeful that the sleep will come. (laughs) and It won't take such a, a toll on my health and on my productivity. Uh, and I'd like to say I appreciate each one of you who support the podcast as patrons. And speaking of patrons, Derek Deppner author of, is the author of Why Authors Fail and our featured patron today. Becoming a massively successful self-published author can be challenging. Even just one missing link and an otherwise perfect plan can kill your results. In Why Authors Fail, award-winning author Derek Depner reveals the 17 biggest mistakes authors make that sabotage their success along with practical steps to fix each mistake. Derek, thank you for being a patron of the podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. And I should say, speaking of the five-year plan, if you are a patron, there is a link that will save you 50% off the price of the course. So it's much cheaper to become a patron first and then get the five-year plan. It's really a big discount. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Laurie Christine. This episode's audio is edited by William Umstadt, and the blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lutler. To read the blog version of this episode and to find all the links to all the books and episodes that I talked about, visit authormedia.com slash 341, or just do a search for James Patterson at authormedia.com. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.